Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. It's your host, with the most, Chris. I hope everyone's having a fantastic day today. A little bit of a different camera angle for the podcast in this episode. I wanted to try something a little more new. I kind of want to like mess around with different angles to make it a little bit different to kind of see like what I'm feeling and what I'm not. Just because, you know, change is always good and you never know. You might like something else or may, you may not. Who knows? So this camera angle might stick around for a little bit. I'm not really sure. This is the first time I'm really testing it out. So we will see. But now you can kind of see me a little bit in a longer range. You can see what's in the back, my little setup with all the Funko Pops, my one guy from Italy box, my Dallas Cowboys flag, all that good stuff. But obviously you guys are not here to listen to the stuff I have in the background. You guys talk here for the podcast and some sports stuff going on. So First order of business, the Dallas Stars have made it to round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're playing the Kraken. However, last night, losing it in overtime, 5-4. to four. <laughs> Am I upset? I'm upset that we lost. But however, I'm not upset because the same thing happened against the Wild in round one, and we end up winning in six. So I'm not concerned. And Charles, uh, John Pavolsky came back after the concussion from, game, uh, from the first series against the Wild and got a hat trick and got four goals within a game. So I'm not too I'm not too worried. I think that just Ottinger just didn't just didn't have a good first part of the game. I know the Kraken scored four in the first period, and then after that they were he didn't let any score up until overtime. So I'm sure just overtime and you know being tired and all that good stuff. So hopefully we can rebound in game two. They play this Thursday, I believe. So I'm very excited. So I'm not freaking out. I'm not pressing the panic button. Plus, I'm I'm a little okay with this just because what happened with the Wild, like I said, and the Kraken had to go to seven games with the Avalanche. So they're a tough team. Don't get me wrong. The Kraken have proven to be a tough team this year, but I'm I'm not gonna I'm not pressing the panic button just yet because it's only one game. We can always come back. Like I said, it happened against the Wild. I'm not too concerned. So. I'll keep you guys updated with what's going on with that game, with that series. Next up, it's not really like sports news, but I guess it has. It's kind of related to somebody in the NFL. So, guess we'll talk about it. Jackson Mahomes, the younger brother of Patrick Mahomes, has been arrested today on uh, three counts of sexual battery and one misdemeanor count of battery. What? Wow, this kid cannot stay out of trouble. Is <laughs> definitely my first reaction of this whole thing going on. And my biggest thing is that, you know, he he holds the the Mahomes name. His brother is a big-time NFL quarterback, the face of the NFL, and he chooses to act like this. And it's kind of funny to me because, you know, he says, like, media, social media is what's destroying his life. But, I mean, he's the one making the choices here. He's the one going out in public kind of being dumb in a sense. Like, so... To me, this whole situation is just really out of hand with his brother. And I know with his uh, wife, a lot of people have different opinions about his wife. But definitely with his brother, you know, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of shown that what happens when you let fame go to your head. And the worst part is he's not even the one that's really famous. It's his brother, Patrick. His older brother is the famous one here. It's not really him. So I don't really know, like, why this, like, why he chooses to act like the way he acts. You know, he goes to uh parties and bars and clubs you know and he, he's choosing to do this it's not like anyone's really forcing him and if he feels that social media is the one that's doing it then i think you should probably take a step back and say you know what it's not good for me like all these choices i've made are not good maybe i should take a step back i don't really think that's what it is i think that he likes the attention that he's getting i think this is just one step too far i believe the video of the 
of the sexual battery that happened is going around. It was uh, with a 40-year-old woman. Um, it was, like, I think, like, the owner of the bar, the club. Uh, they were telling him to, like, to get out or trying to kick him out. He just grabbed and uh, played tonsil hockey with her. And that was completely crazy. But it's just my biggest thing I'm more, like, upset for and upset about this is Patrick Mahomes. Because, you know, he's affiliated with him. That's his younger brother. And now, now Jackson going to jail... And getting arrested, who I don't know what's gonna happen. We're just gonna have to let the legal process do as it ple- do as it pleases. I don't know if he's still I don't know if he's still in jail. If they bailed him out, I don't think anybody's really said anything about that. But I just feel more bad for Patrick, just because you know he's the one that has to deal with it. You know, I'm sure the media and the press are gonna want to ask questions about Jackson. I'm sure the Kansas City news are want to get want to get the entire scoop on this. I'm sure his parents are mad. It's just a whole mess. This whole situation with Jackson Mahomes is a big mess and i just i don't understand it like you you have a big name you shouldn't need to act like that you know if it is for attention whether it is or it isn't you know you you have to hold up some sort of reputation and in my opinion that's kind of what i feel like as well because when you are tied to a big name or a lot of people know you you don't want to necessarily ruin a reputation for yourself or for that other person so in this case like patrick mahomes you don't want to ruin it for him because He's the one, you know, he's the NFL quarterback. He's the face of the NFL making, like, millions of dollars winning Super Bowls. And now everyone wants to talk about his little brother going to jail, which is exactly what we're doing right now. So I just feel bad more for Patrick because it's it's getting out of hand and it's kind of not affecting him. Per, like, honestly, it's not directly affecting him, but I know it bothers him because he's the one with the reputation here. He's the one with the, you know, with the name and all that. And the worst part is this is not the first time this has been an incident with um, with Jackson. Uh, we all seen the videos of him throwing water at fans. I thought that was pretty crazy and that was very unnecessary. Um, there was one story article that I read. It was I believe it was during COVID. It was around it was around when the world was starting to open up again. And this bar in Kansas City, the owner obviously if. Uh, obviously for COVID, everyone had a, when everything started opening up, everyone had a certain like max capacity. So a bar can only hold about say 50 people. I believe it was like 30, 50, but they reached max capacity. So uh, Jackson and his entourage showed up and they tried to get in, but the owner of the bar was saying, no, we're at max capacity. You're going to have to wait. And he was kind of playing the card of, do you know who I am? You know, I'm Jackson, like, effing Mahomes. My older brother is the quarterback for Kansas City, and they're trying to tell him, I get it, but we are under, we are still under, like, COVID, and we're trying to not, basically, the person's not trying to lose their job, their their business. You know, they just opened up, and everyone is hurting, and they're trying to, like, make sure they do things right, especially with COVID being around, but Jackson didn't really care, and that was a whole uh, squamble. I believe there was videos of him like forcibly kissing girls, and there was videos of like girls trying to get away from him. He, it's he's a whole mess. And then him doing TikTok dances on Sean Taylor's memorial that they were do uh, that the commanders were doing for Sean Taylor. He was dancing all over the memorial thing. I think him and um, Patrick Mahomes' wife they were taking pictures, standing on top of it. It was a mess. And every, every, everyone in the media and everyone like ta- talks about sports or anything like that. Just. They got, you know, they get mad at Jackson for doing that, but who does it really tie to? It ties to Patrick because it seems it shows that, you know, well, Patrick can't get a can't get a strain uh, hold on, you know, his wife. She's acting crazy. His brother's out of control, and he has like no control in his household, basically. And that's who I feel most bad about because it does go revert back to him. It's a full circle and full cycle. And like another good example of this for any of you that's ever like 
been out there, like, have a job or anyone that's been out, like, kind of uh, noticed. It's kind of the same thing with me. Whenever I work, I used to work for a media company, a lot of the sponsors that we had know who I was because I met a lot of the owners, the sponsors, whoever. I met them. I talked to them, a lot of them, you know, got to know me a little bit. I got to know them. A lot of them, you know, helped me out, whatever. Like, one of the sponsors is uh, one guy from Italy. I know him. Now, I wouldn't put myself in a situation to tarnish, number one, my name, the company's name, and then the sponsor, especially if all of them, because it leads back to them, you know, like, I don't want to do something stupid, and I wouldn't risk doing something stupid, and it coming back to me, or that it goes back to the company, because it looks bad on the company, or it'll look bad on the sponsor, because, you know, and it'll look bad on them, because they're giving money to someone that's being stupid like that. So, and that's what I'm kind of getting at, is that you have to be careful you know, especially if you have a big name or you have a big presence somewhere, you have to be careful with what you do. You, I mean, life has consequences. Your choices in life, may, you know, have consequences for better or worse. You know, sometimes it can benefit you, sometimes it can't, or sometimes you can go to jail. doesn't matter. You have consequences, and I think Jackson Mahomes has gonna, had to learn it the hard way. Now he's, now he's going to jail. I, I don't know if he's really going to go to jail. I mean, like I said, the legal process is just going to have to go. It's going to really, really depend on what's going to happen with him, but... I think he's going to jail because three counts of sexual battery, that, that's something you take serious. It's not something you can just get a slap on the wrist and go. But then again, we've seen it happen. So who knows what's going to happen with him and all that. But hopefully, you know, hopefully Patrick can figure this out. And, you know, hopefully this doesn't tarnish his name too much. I just know he's probably going to have to have a sit down with Jackson and tell him he needs to knock it off like now. I know on uh, Jackson's Instagram, he took off his... uh. The comments, whoever's running a social media page, it took off comments. So you can't even send him a message. You can't comment on any of his photos. It's nuts. And I'm sure um, Patrick's wife, Brittany, did the same thing. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go public with anything. So who knows what's going to happen with that. But, I mean, we're talking about it now. So hopefully Jackson can learn from his mistakes. And hopefully Patrick can just sit him down and say, hey, man, you're ruining my name here. Like, you keep in mind, your name is tied with me. And what you do reflects badly on me. So do not like knock this off or basically you're cut off. I think at this point he should just tell him like you're going to be cut off because I feel like he helps him out. But we'll have to figure it out from there. Alrighty, next up, NBA playoffs are still in full swing. They're in round two. I caught the game. Lakers versus the Warriors last night. The Lakers would beat the Warriors. And I was it was a great game, like the last like five minutes of the, la of the last quarter. It was absolutely nuts. I believe like the... The Lakers had like a almost a 20-point, 15-20-point uh, lead on the Warriors, and they came right back. I mean, Steph Curry, what are you going to do? Best shooter on the planet, hands down. But the Lakers were able to pull it away. Why? I will tell you why. Anthony Davis ended up being a big factor in this game. What? Now, the reason why I hit the what button is because there are times where Anthony Davis was a non-factor, and the Lakers ended up losing games, or they didn't do as well, so that ended up... Having LeBron to pick, carry the team, drop 40 or 50, and maybe win the game. You're not going to do that against the Golden State Warriors. You're not going to be able to do that against teams that can shoot out with you with only one player. And we definitely saw that. I think the Lakers this past uh, last night definitely just they played a good game. I think defensively they did good. They held Steph Curry to only 27 points. And in my opinion, if you hold Steph Curry to 35 or below... Uh, to 35, if you hold them under 35 points, I think that's an absolute win because that is the one person everyone 
in the NBA and on the planet is scared of is Stephen Curry. Because if you let him cook, you let him start dropping 40, 50, you're, you may not win the game. And it's going to be hard. And that's not even including if Klay Thompson has a good game or maybe if Jordan Poole has a good game. I think Jordan Poole has decent games in my opinion. But you get the point. Steph Curry is the main priority and the main threat against uh, the Lakers. And I think the... I believe it was a uh, commentator. I think he put it good. He said, when you're dealing with a last-second shot, ABC, um, I think it was like away ball Curry or something like that, or Curry doesn't get the ball, something like that. But I thought he explained it pretty well. Don't let Curry get the ball in the last second because I think they, they believe they won 117 to 112, so they weren't far off, but I think the Lakers played it well. And also LeBron only having, I believe, 22, but it's still AD, AD ended up being the biggest factor because he got 30 – 30 points and 23 rebounds. So he had about a big double-double. And I think that's what the Lakers are going to have to use if they're going to try to beat the Warriors and get out of the series. I don't think they're going to sweep the Warriors. I think the Warriors are going to come back hot, especially since they don't they don't take things lightly when you beat them. They will come back even, like, even stronger, faster. They You can't get rid of them. So I don't think the Lakers are going to sweep the Warriors. But if they can play like that, if Anthony Davis can have big games like that or at least replicate the game... I think they're going to do fine. Reason why is because I think he's a better, I think he's a big mismatch against uh, Looney, who's the who's the power forward for the Warriors. Looney can get rebounds, don't get me wrong. I think he's pretty good at, like, you know, being a defensive rebounder. But Anthony Davis is just too much. He can shoot threes. He can rebound. He can do he can do putbacks. You name it, he can do it. Just as long as he doesn't get hurt. I think that's, like, the biggest thing is that as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be okay. And I think it's going to work. So, and if they stick with this defensive defensive mindset that Darvin Ham is doing, I think he's doing I think he's doing incredibly well. I know at the trade deadline they went stronger defensively over trying to get like skilled players that can shoot the ball and they try to outscore teams because you're not going to do that because that's what the Mavericks and the Nets were doing. They were trying to outscore teams, but when you have teams that can outscore you or they have just as good as point makers as you, it's it's a toss up on who's going to win, and I think that's the biggest concern. And that's definitely something you don't want to do going into playoffs, especially when you have teams like the Nuggets, who are hot right now. You have the Suns, who have Kevin Durant. And you have the Golden State Warriors. you got to play some defense. And I think Dar- uh, Darvin Ham and the, and the Lakers organization did a great job in uh, towards the end of the trade deadline. They were able to pick up some defensive players to help kind of get them back into the get them back into the playoff contention. I think they did a great job. And now it's paying off because defense is what helped the Lakers solidify a win. And like I said, if you hold Curry below 35 points, I think that's an absolute win. They only got him to 27. So that's going to be the big thing. Don't let Curry cook. And I think that's going to be the, the key to success for the Lakers. Because if they let him, you know, get 27, everyone else gets about 20, 25. As long as everyone else does their part and they'll be fine. And also Matt Reeves being stellar this season. I think Matt Reeves is definitely going to be an awesome superstar in the league. Maybe maybe even also when LeBron leaves and AD leaves, he, I think he's still going to be probably the best player on that Lakers team. He's definitely a great uh, second or third, uh, second to third option. He's a great, he's a good shooter. He's definitely tough. I One of the things I have to praise on Matt Reeves for the Lakers is that he, stu- he, he stepped up and took a charge against, I believe it was Poole. I, I believe it was Poole. It was Poole or somebody else. But he took a charge, and you rarely see that in the NBA nowadays. You rarely see people try, uh, take charges and get try to get an offensive foul on them because a lot of them try to go for the block. They try to put their hands up, which makes sense because when you're six foot eight, six foot nine, ten, 
11, 7 foot, whatever, you just put your hands up, it's going to intimidate somebody. But obviously Matt Reeves is a little smaller on that end, so he knew that if I take the charge, at least that way, you know, if I get fouled or he gets fouled, either way, you know, I stop the play. And he got the charge call, so it was an offensive foul, and it was a turnover for the Warriors. So I think just having that mindset of defense is going to win, and that was definitely one of the key signs that they're going to lean on defense to get out of the series was him taking a charge like that. If they keep doing that, that's going to be that's going to be saving grace for the L.A. Lakers and how they're going to be essentially move on to the Western Conference Finals. Now, who do I think they may face off against? I don't really know. But who do I have winning this series? I think because of what I saw in Game 1, I think the Lakers are going to win. I don't think it's a sweep. They may win in, in 6. I say 6 or 7 because I know the Warriors are going to come back hot. I know Curry can one day just drop 50 to 60 points on everybody and you won't be able to understand. However, as long as they can stick to their defensive plan and hold them to 35 and below, like I said, they're going to get out. You know, And as, if they let Jordan Poole take game-winning shots, I mean... <laughs> that was a weird shot. I will say that. I saw him take that shot and I was like, that's way too deep. Why did he shoot that? He had... I believe he still had like seven seconds left on the clock, and he shot and he shot it. Um, I, I understood they double teamed Curry to make sure he doesn't get the ball. That makes sense. Someone's gonna get open. It's gonna be Clay or Poole. But Poole took a really, really deep shot. It wasn't. It wasn't like kind of where the arc was. It was like close to the logo, and he shot it like if he had no time on the clock. He had a couple seconds. He could have stepped up and made his shot a lot smoother, or at least a little bit more of a higher percentage shot than just shooting it from that far and hoping for the best because he completely missed it. And the camera was on him. Everyone was looking at him saying, why did he shoot the ball? Like, why did he shoot it from that deep? I can understand him shooting it because he can he can score. Don't get me wrong. He can score. But why did he shoot it from that deep is my question. Is why was it why was it such a far three? That's what I didn't understand when that whole play happened. I understand that someone had to shoot it, whether it was going to be him or Clay. But so Poole got the ball and nobody was on him. But you are way too far to shoot that. If he, if he shot like Curry, I think I can take that gamble. But Curry's the best shooter on the planet. No one could compare to him. So if you even try, you may not have as much as much success. The only person close to it is probably going to be Clay or KD or somebody else or maybe his brother. Those are probably be like the only closest people I can see doing that but Jordan Jordan Poole needs to know he needs to know that you know you have a couple seconds make the shot easier step up because no one was near him he could have stepped up and shot the ball or stepped up pump fake wait for the dude to move and go he had he had it he didn't need to chuck up a bad shot from far not really a bad shot but like he didn't have to chuck it deep and hope for the best because that's how you lose games like that at least if if he stepped up closer made the three he can foul and they still have a couple seconds to maybe win the game but no, they completely lost it at the end. So I don't, I don't think that hopefully, I hope, hopefully, uh, uh, Steph Kerr doesn't do that. The head coach, he doesn't, he just tells him, don't, don't take that deep of a shot ever again, because that was, that was not good because you missed it really bad and it put us in a bad spot. So hopefully we can, hopefully this is going to be a good series. I think it's going to be really good. I think Lakers got it in six. If they can stick to the defensive game plan, Darvin Ham, uh, Darvin Ham, Doing a great job of uh, this this playoff series, and hopefully they can get they can they can complete this. I believe the next game they play is either Thursday or Friday, so I'm gonna check out that game.
and kind of go about it. But before I continue, guys, uh, let me know because this is the first time I've covered an NBA playoff game. So let me know if you want any more NBA playoff you know, coverage of going over the games. I'll definitely do it. So make sure you guys let me know if you want some more NBA coverage. Next up, more sports. Uh, hey, everybody. I just want to take a real quick pause from the podcast to introduce our first sponsor, One Guy from Italy on University. One Guy from Italy on University is a local Lubbock restaurant located right next to Texas Tech University. They have some of the best food in town. I know personally I go order. The house calzone is my favorite. And also, they have been voted to have the best calzones in Texas. So if you're ever in Lubbock, Texas, make sure you guys stop by One Guy from Italy on University. And thank you guys for being our first sponsor of the podcast. Now, let's get back to the episode. For sports, uh, sports news, Canelo Alvarez is going to be returning to face Ryder for Cinco de Mayo weekend. Whoa, return of the pound, per, pound for pound king. Canelo Alvarez is returning to the ring after, I believe it was, it's been almost... It's been like nine months, I believe. It's been a very long time. Because the last fight he had was against the Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. And I believe he said he had to have surgery in his hand because, you know, he's had a lot of fights. He ha- he fought Dimitri Bilvov. He went up against Triple G. And, you know, wear and tear on your body. He, he had to take a break and get some surgery. I know that's what he said after he won a decision against Gennady Golovkin. And he said, I'm going to take a break. I got to get surgery in the hand. I got to fix it. So that way I can come back stronger, and I believe he still wants to move up in weight classes. But he's, uh, I believe he's defending his super middleweight, his super middleweight championship. So that's going to be very exciting to see uh, Canelo versus Ryder. I'm not really sure about Ryder though because I didn't really see much when I saw a little bit of his highlights and what he was bringing to the table. I think this is just a return fight for Canelo to kind of you know tune him up, get him a little up to speed, shake off the rust. He's been out for about almost a year now. Yeah, about a year, like nine to, nine months to a year he's been out. So, you know, kind of shake off the rust. They kind of gave him, a, probably gave him the uh, right of the fight, kind of give him some, a little bit of exposure, maybe give him a little bit of that payday that every boxer is wanting nowadays. So I think this is going to be an interesting fight there. He is doing it in, on Cinco de Mayo weekend. He is, I believe he's going to be in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, where he's from. So he's going to be in his hometown. So that's very exciting for everyone in Mexico. I know a lot of people are getting really like getting ready and prepared i believe canelo's been training in his hometown old school style you know training at his uh in his mansion all that good stuff so uh do i think canelo's gonna win this fight absolutely i think he's gonna get a knockout in round six or he's just gonna win it by unanimous i don't i don't really see canelo losing especially if any of you've ever seen his fights great defensive fighter i think that he's very strong he definitely has knockout power if anyone's ever seen him knock anybody out he can definitely do it. I saw him knock out Caleb Plant. I saw him basically make Julie, uh, Billy Joe Saunders like quit because he had to because the eye socket or the bone in his eye socket collapsed, so it went like this. So Billy Saunders couldn't see Billy Joe Saunders couldn't see out of his eyes, so they had to call the fight. They, like I said, he knocked out Caleb Plant, bunch of other knockouts, and then he went the distance with Gennady Golovkin, which that one was a little bit more of a concern just because. Gennady, I thought in, uh, towards the end of the fight was kind of winning. If it would have kept going, I think Gennady would have got it in points. But neither here or there. I think Canelo coming back is going to be definitely big for boxing, just because you know it's going to keep building on this rolling ball that boxing right now is having, especially just coming off of Garcia and Gervonta Davis and how big that mega fight was. And now Canelo's returning to the ring, and I want to know what he's going to do. If he's just going to stick in the middleweight, or he's going to try to move up to light heavyweight again. You know, hopefully if he does do that, if he wants to continue his reign 
and go keep going up in the weight class. I hopefully he goes up against maybe like someone like Ryder, like a little bit of a tune up, get used to the weight before he goes and fights Bivol again. I know he said he he wants to fight uh, Dimitri Bivol in the in his light heavyweight uh, for his light heavyweight championship. He wants to move up in the weight, and I believe Bivol said I can I can move down to middleweight if I have to. First of all, don't do that because that is Canelo's weight, and he's a lot quicker when he's when he's a lot lighter. So keep that in mind. I know uh, after Dimitri's fight, Dimitri mentioned that. You know, he's uh, if he would have gone any longer, Canelo would have won the fight. And I believe he was Canelo was targeting his arms so much that he couldn't get it to move up. Like after the fight, you just saw bruises, and Bivolf could barely get his arm up. So I thought that was pretty incredible. So now with Ryder, you know, Canelo's going to defend his super middleweight title in Mexico. So that's definitely home field advantage for Canelo. But like I said, I have him winning in six in the knock with a knockout, or he's going to win by decision. But I think he's going to win by unanimous decision. I really don't think uh, Ryder will... I don't think Ryder will push it that far with Canelo. I think Canelo will just finish Ryder as fast as he can and probably announce his next fight. I believe that's what he did. But that, but he did that before uh, Billy Joe Saunders. He beat someone, kind of got him a paycheck a little bit, helped him out, get him a little bit more um, uh, you know, exposure, promotion, maybe get him in a, in a good fight for somebody else. And then he announced Billy Joe Saunders. Then after Saunders, he announced Caleb Plant. So this is probably gonna be a little bit of a trickle of his big like of his bigger fights. I think that this one's just a return match. Like like, oh, the king is coming back and boom, we're gonna we're gonna make this fight really big. So and like I said, I think it's gonna be really big really good for boxing to kind of continue this ball of, hey, you know, big fight. Uh we just finished this big fight with Garcia and Davis. Now let's do Canelo coming back and let's see if we can possibly get another Canelo fight, probably in November or December, depending on who, who wants to fight Canelo or who they kind of got set up next, and then go on from there. I know that there's probably a couple more big fights that might happen. I know Devin Haney might fight this year, so kind of, you know, it's been a good year for boxing. I think it's been a good year with getting these fights going and kind of getting the ball on the roll. So let's see what happens with this Canelo fight. I do have him winning, so good luck to you, Canelo Alvarez. The return of the pound-for-pound -pound king is coming back this Saturday. Alrighty, now to the main course of the podcast, the NFL. A lot of things have happened. A lot of news just came out in the past couple days, so let's get started. First up, the New York Packers have signed Randall Cobb this for on a one-year contract. This Randall Cobb was on Aaron Rodgers' list, uh, his like kind of his wish list for what he wanted before he arrived to the Jets, and now they finally got somebody else. My, I'm not mad about the Randall Cobb signing. I don't, I don't think Randall Cobb is like a bad wide receiver. He obviously already has good connection with Aaron Rodgers, so that's already good. He already has chemistry with him. He's a great slot receiver because I, I saw him in, when he played for Dallas. He was really good in the slot. You know, he has the height for it, he has the speed for it, and he already has a connection with Rodgers. So, you know, he doesn't have to work too much with him because he already has all those years together in Green Bay. However. My concern is that the Jets are becoming the Packers in a sense of they're letting Rodgers run the organization because we saw that when it first started happening that he wanted this wish list. He wanted Odell. He wanted Randall Cobb. He wanted Alan Lazard. He wanted this tight end. He wanted somebody else. It was a mess. And they were doing that. They got Alan Lazard. They got the tight end. They didn't get Odell, but they got Randall Cobb. And now... 
we're kind of seeing it similar to what happened in Green Bay. You know, when he was like, I may retire. Okay, Green Bay comes back. Here's a big contract if we can get you to stay. Okay, I'll stay. I'm going to retire again. We'll get you more wide receivers. Okay, I'm going to retire or I want to leave. Oh, we'll do this. Oh, we'll do that. Oh, we'll get rid of Mike McCarthy. Oh, we'll do. We'll go get. We'll go get you an offensive mind. Whatever it is, that's what the Packers did, and now the Jets are doing the same thing. They already got him the players that he wanted. They got Nathaniel Hackett as an offensive coordinator who already worked with Rodgers, and now they finally got Aaron Rodgers in the building, and now they're still trying to kind of make him happy. And I think that's the big mistake, because when you start letting that happen, as we saw in Green Bay, as we saw in Arizona, or we're seeing in Arizona, that's where the problem starts trickling down, and that's where everything goes wrong. Now, when this keeps going, when the players take over and you have no control, they're going to walk right all over you. Now they're going to own you. And that's exactly what Rodgers did in Green Bay, and now it's starting to happen with the Jets. Don't be shocked. If this season he doesn't make, he doesn't win the division, they don't get far in the playoffs, he's going to come out and say, you know what, I tried it with a new team, may have to maybe retire. No, don't do that. See, and that's kind of my thing, is that Rodgers is going to do it again. We're all going to wonder, are you coming back? So what are the Jets going to do? They're not going to say, okay, out the door, bye-bye. They're going to probably come back and say, hey, Aaron, what do you need? Like, what do you need from us? Zach Wilson gone? We'll kick him out. You know, just examples here. I'm not saying that's what's actually going to happen. You know, like, oh, you want another wide, another key wide receiver? Okay, we'll get a third big wide receiver after Randall Cobb leaves. We'll do this. We'll do that. And the Jets are going to run into that problem. And the, the worst part is that they're kind of desperate for a good quarterback to come in because they knew they were only a quarterback away from being a top contender in the AFC. They're going to try to appease this man. Till he till the cows come home, basically, he will not go away, and they're gonna try to keep him there as long as they, as long as they can, and hope and hope for the best that he's gonna you know take them to either a Super Bowl or far in the playoffs or whatever, keep get them relevant again, and that's what I'm scared of for the Jets because I get it, Rodgers, talent wise, probably one of the best to do it. He's definitely gonna be a Hall of Famer, but don't let him take control. Because if you lose control, that's you're gonna, you know, you're he's gonna walk all over you. Like I said, in Arizona, Kyler Murray, you know, he took off, he took down the post with him in Arizona. He was threatening to not come to OTAs and training if he didn't get a contract. They gave him a big contract, and guess what? He got hurt halfway through the season. So the probably the Cardinals feel kind of stupid with that whole thing going on. So to continue with that with that kind of comparison, is that now they have to go, now I believe they announced that they have to make go, everything has to go through Kyler Murray as well. Everything, at least offensively. You know, if they want to do this, talk to Kyler as well. If they want to do that, got to talk to Kyler. If we want to trade DeAndre Hopkins and possibly get into the first round pick, we got to talk to Kyler. And that's him slowly taking control of the organization and holding it kind of hostage in a sense. The only difference is that he got his big contract, so there's not much else he can do. You know, he doesn't really have much other power, but now that Arizona said that they're going to at least offensively go through Kyler, at least talk to Kyler about it, I mean, that's great and all, but when you do that and he says no, and you guys say, well, we're stuck, that's where the problem is. I know the Cowboys are kind of doing something similar with Dak, but they're just asking for his input. They're not really telling him, they're not letting him make decisions for Mike McCarthy. Clearly not, because, I mean, we all saw the draft, which we'll get to the draft here pretty soon. We all saw what happened in the draft, and 
going about that route. But he, they, they're talking to Dak. They're letting him know, like, oh, hey, like, what do you think if we get this person or this person? They get his input, and then, all right, well, Mike, it's up to Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones and whoever else. And that's how it should work, you know. If you want to get a little bit of input from maybe your quarterback offensively or your star defensive player, like, oh, hey, we might go get this person. What do you think? And then go about it that route, then fine. Business is business. And that's the thing with all kinds of with all sports, whether we like it or not, it is a business. You know, you can ask for advice, you can talk to some people, but at the end of the day, it's business. If you feel like DeAndre Hopkins can get you a first round pick, then go do it. Then trade him. Go get you a first rounder. If you think Aaron Rodgers is going to help you get to the Super Bowl, go get him. But don't let Aaron Rodgers come in and start running the organization, you know, because like I said, it's business. You're bringing him in to help you. You're not bringing them in to take over and, and you know, perform a coup d'etat. You, nobody wants that. Nobody wants a coup d'etat in their organization, and now they have no say in what's going on because they're going to have to talk to Aaron. And that's exactly what happened to the Packers. You know, every time they wanted to do something new, guess what? They got to talk to Aaron. If Aaron said no and they're like, well, we might do it anyways, okay, I'll retire. Like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm going to retire. I guess it's time to put up the cleats and go be the host of Jeopardy whatever it is and that's exactly what i hopefully hopefully the jets don't do hopefully they they can come in and say you know what we brought him in to help you out if this doesn't work you have no power like whatever we say goes and that's the final and that's the final verdict and i think that's what some organizations need to do is especially with the jets bringing in someone who is very controlling like aaron Rodgers is you got to put your foot down you got to tell them hey you wanted a you wanted a trade. We got you. This is how we do it, and that's the end of the story. You know, we'll we'll ask for advice. We'll ask for your input, but just know, not everything's gonna go your way, and not you're not gonna get everything that you want. And we're gonna have to do it that way. So to finish off on that note, Jets. Hopefully, you guys can figure it out with Aaron, and don't let him run the organization. Please don't let him run the Jets for you guys, and don't be, don't kind of like appease him. Next up, speaking of the Packers, Jordan Love gets a one-year extension, twenty-two point five million dollars with thirteen point five guaranteed. <laughs> now, I like this because this is the Packers playing it safe with Jordan Love. Here's why: Jordan Love has been a backup for about four years now. Now he's finally getting the start. Now he's finally starting to get, now he's finally kind of like, you know, getting it done. However, though, however, I think the Packers are also playing it safe in case Jordan Love ends up not being the big time quarterback that they're hoping. In case he doesn't end up being Aaron Rodgers 2.0, where, you know, he sat back behind a star QB and he kind of, you know, learned, developed, I don't know how much development he really had, but Aaron Rodgers teaching him, but... With that, you know, he became a good quarterback. If that doesn't happen, they have another year. I think this is a good way to get a good sample size of what is to come. You know, he has this full year. And let's say, for example, they win the division, but they get eliminated first round in the playoffs. Like, and then the Packers organization can come back and say, all right, he, we got to the playoffs with Jordan Love. What can we do his next year to fix it? Whether it bring in more talent, hire, you know, bring in more veterans, Whatever the case may be for the Green Bay Packers, they can go about it that route. Or flip it. They have a bad season. You know, they have a bad season uh, this year. They have one more year to fix it. Whether it be, you know, getting more talent, 
Maybe Jordan Love isn't that good, but they give it another year in case, you know what, this first year he's trying to get it figured out. He hasn't played. It's been He's been on the bench for four years behind Aaron Rodgers, coming in every now and then to, to play in case we need him. But now it's go time. And I think this is also a great way because he has been in the league for four years. This is just his first season starting. So this is giving him about a two-year chance this year and next year to see if he's going to be the quarterback for the future. And it's a little bit of a money saver because in case they in case they don't want Jordan Love anymore and they want, want to go somebody else, they don't have to spend a lot of money. They don't. They're not giving up a lot. And if they do like Jordan Love, that ne- next season for uh, the 2024 season, they can sign more expensive players to come in, or they can re-sign more expensive players to stay. They can go that route. So I think the Packers right now are playing it smart with their quarterback just because, you know, we're making sure Jordan is good. If he doesn't succeed the first season, okay, let's see what went wrong, and we'll fix it for year two. And we still have him for another year. Or if he does good... Let's see what we can improve on for next season, and then maybe next year we can talk about contracts. And I think that's another thing, too, is that if Jordan Jordan Love does good, does good this season and in 2024, this gives the Packers enough room to work out a possibly a long-term deal with Jordan Love, and they can go about it that way and see what they want to do going into the future. But I think right now it's a good deal just to make sure they have a quarterback for next season because I believe his, year, his, his rookie contract is about to be up. I think after this season. So this is a good way to keep them. And I think this is a good way to get a good value, a good portion size evaluation of Jordan Love and to see if he is going to be the quarterback for the future. All right, next up. Speaking of con- hey everyone, I just want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce our next sponsor, Goldmine Collectibles. Goldmine Collectibles is a local Lubbock store located right off of 50th Street and University. Goldmine Collectibles sells a variety of things such as Funko Pops, wrestling figures, Pokemon cards, comic books, and more. As an example that I bought from Goldmine Collectibles is this awesome Cody Rhodes Double or Nothing Championship figure that they had in the store. And if you guys see the Funko Pops that I have right behind me, some of them are actually from Goldmine Collectibles. Ever in the market for Funko Pops, comic books, Pokemon cards, wrestling figures, and more. Make sure you guys head on over to Goldmine Collectibles. Thank you guys for sponsoring today's video. And now, back to the episode. Speaking of contracts, Lamar Jackson finally got paid. He is a paid man. He is now the highest paying NFL QB. I don't have the numbers on him, but I will say the guaranteed money was, I believe, about $185 million or something around there. It wasn't as high. It's not super high. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on how much he got paid or how much the guarantees is, but I know it wasn't Deshaun Watson money. All I have to point out here is... The Baltimore Ravens better go call Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles, dial it up in Philly and tell them, hey, what what kind of fruit do y'all like? What kind of fruit basket? What kind of wine? What kind of whiskey? They need to send them a gift basket because I believe that deal with Jalen Hurts that they made with the Eagles came back. They came back and told, you know, Lamar and Lamar realized, okay, this guy got a contract done. I still don't have anything. Now, everyone all over social media has been saying he did it by himself. He didn't need an agent. He didn't need an agent. Blah, 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 blah. Y'all remember where he was when he didn't have an agent? The reason why he got the contract is because Jalen Hurts got a contract. Because after he got it, and he didn't even, and Jalen Hurts didn't get even a lot of guaranteed money. 
That was the crazy part. His guarantees weren't super high, so the Eagles were able to make it work. And especially since his long-term deal was able to set up Philadelphia and prepare them for what they're, what they're going to go up with in their payroll going in, going into the next contract for Jalen Hurts. Lamar Jackson, he didn't have a contract. He was about to be unemployed. He was about to just sign a franchise tag. I think what happened was that after Jalen Hurts got signed, Jalen, after he got his contract, the Ravens and Lamar met again and said, hey, let's be serious about what we want. Because Jalen Hurts got to the Super Bowl and did not request Deshaun Watson money. I think that his guaranteed money was a little bit more reasonable. Let's let's make a deal. Let's be a little bit more realistic on what we want. Let's see if we can reach common ground and go about it that way. Let's stop. Let's stop messing around with this. Let's stop doing all these things. Let's not bashing each other. Let's 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 get this to work. Let's get you a long-term deal that with the funds being sufficient enough for you to play football for the Baltimore Ravens organization. And that's exactly what happened. So I think with this deal in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts helped get Lamar Jackson money. Lamar Jackson didn't get him anything. I don't think he did. I really don't think Lamar Jackson was the main one because keep in mind, just a month ago, he was demanding over $200 million in guaranteed money. Now, all of a sudden, he didn't want it anymore. That's why I'm saying that Jalen Hurts and his guaranteed contract and what he got for the next five years helped out with what he was going to get. And that's exactly what I'm very happy about. I'm happy that Lamar Jackson got paid, but he got paid in a way that the Ravens can live with it and he can live with it because that's how it works in the real world. Just because, you know, he is a he is an MVP, NFL MVP quarterback, but that was years ago. He doesn't have that good of a playoff record. It's being honest with each other. Let's get this to work so we can get you long term and we can figure out what we're going to do in the future with Lamar's contract and see how they're going to wrap around with bringing in other talent. And I think the Ravens have done a good job with that. Bringing in wide receiver uh, Odell Beckham, I believe they they drafted one. They brought it. Uh, Rashad Bateman's coming back. Mark Andrews will be there. All that good stuff. So with Lamar finally getting his contract done, now the Ravens can move on from this and go about it. But Philly helped them. There's no doubt in my mind Philly helped uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens reach a consensus on this contract. Because there's no way that Lamar Jackson just all of a sudden said, you know what? I'll take lesser guaranteed money, I guess. No. Jalen Hurts and his contract got Lamar his contract. There's no debating it because he wanted all the guaranteed money and that's not what he got. And that's exactly how it is in negotiations. And that's kind of how it is when you want to stay somewhere or you want to like restructure your contract. You're not going to get everything. You're not going to get a $10 million contract with a Lamborghini outside waiting for you with the keys in the car. You're not going to get it. You're either going to get the money or get the Lamborghini, whichever one. You're not going to get both. That's kind of how at least proper business is done. And I'm sure that's what the Ravens were doing. Like, we'll give you X amount of money, but we're not going to give you 270, whatever, or just spitballing the number here. We're not going to give you over uh, two, let's give you, let's say 270 million guaranteed like Deshaun Watson got, because he wanted more than Deshaun, or at least close to Deshaun. And they were like, no, that's too ridiculous. Like, it is. And I think also, even though the Ravens gave him the contract, I still think that the Ravens shook the NFL by not doing it. By not giving him all the guaranteed money because now no one has to bow to the quarterbacks. 
But the Philadelphia Eagles also probably helped, and I think that they're going to help the NFL in the future because now with the quarterbacks obviously wanting a lot of money, and we're seeing the ceiling grow and grow for QBs demanding guarantees and whatever else. But the Eagles went realistic, and they said this is kind of what the market is at for you, Jalen Hurts. Let's give you this. Let's get you some guaranteed, and let's let's prepare for the future, and let's let's kind of get this ball going with each other, and let's keep you as a Philadelphia Eagle. And that's what the Baltimore Ravens did. Now they told Lamar the same thing: let's be realistic, let's get this going, let's make you a Raven, and let's get you your money. And I think that the Ravens, because they held out and they waited to see what was going to happen, they benefited. They just did. In my opinion, the Ravens benefited out of this. Because it was that or they gave up a lot of money and they end up not being that good because they can't get anybody. And I think this is the way to do it if you're an NFL organization with a quarterback issue or seeing what they're going to do. This is the way to do it. You know, be realistic and get your guys paid but save you some bones. Alrighty, last topic for the day. The Dallas Cowboys draft reaction. So obviously, if you all know, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I watched the draft last Thursday. I got some opinions on it and I'm going to go over it now. Obviously, there's 31 other teams that had a draft. So what I'm going to do is because it's a lot and it's like a little bit in-depth of what I liked and what I didn't like or what I was shocked about, I'm going to break it up into teams in different episodes because I think that's going to be a little bit easier than me sitting here for 32 teams and going about it that route. So let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? So let's start with them. So in the first round, we drafted Mozzie Smith, defensive tackle out of Michigan, I believe. Uh, we drafted a tight end, Shootamaker. He's from Michigan as well. Uh, DeMarvian uh, Overshow, he's from Texas. Uh, William uh, Fahuko, he's from San Diego State. Asimin Richards, offensive lineman. He is from North Carolina. Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. He's from the Big 12, along with Overshow earlier. And also Jalen Brooks, a cornerback from, I believe, Southern Miss, uh, South Carolina. Sorry about that. So, what was my reaction to this draft? Well, first of all, I'll be honest. I'll be honest here, because I was a little losing it here. Whenever I heard Mozzie Smith's name come uh, get called, I was shocked, because I did not under, I did not know why we got Mozzie Smith. I heard of him. I kind of saw a little bit. It was like nothing really popped off the screen like uh, like Kellen Casey did, the Pittsburgh defensive defensive lineman, because he looked like Aaron, Aaron Donald 2.0, the way he played. But whatever, we didn't get him. But my, when I saw Mozzie Smith, and I, I was thinking, what did we just do? What did we just do? Because personally, I did want Kincaid. I want Don Kincaid from uh, Utah. I thought he was going to be very useful. Because I didn't really know where, we, where else we can fit other stuff. But kind of sitting back, thinking about it, composing myself about all this. I think Mozzie Smith wasn't a bad pick. Now kind of looking at it objectively and seeing, you know, seeing kind of what we needed. Here's the reality. We have Philadelphia for the next, play them twice, maybe three times a year in playoffs. They have that really, really stupid, sneaky quarterback sneak play. The double push. The double Reggie Bush play. And we saw how dominant that was. We saw it was about, like, what, 96% successful? It was very, very hard to defend that. A handful of teams maybe did it. And I believe that was with Gardner Minshew doing it. That wasn't even with Jalen Hurts. It was like maybe a couple times with Jalen Hurts and a few times with Gardner Minshew. But we saw how broken that play was whenever the Philadelphia Eagles would pull it. 
And that's where I believe there was a weakness for the Dallas Cowboys defense. Obviously, linebackers, I think, were good. Leighton Van Der Esch is back. Mike Parsons ain't going anywhere. Maybe the other outside, we can figure it out. We got better at cornerbacks. We got Trayvon Diggs. We got Stephon Gilmore, Gilly. Uh, Curse is coming back. I believe Donovan Wilson's coming back. So we have some pretty good, a pretty good secondary. Our defensive line, however, with, um, I believe, Demarcus Lawrence and uh, Sam, the Ole Miss rookie we had last year. Him, them two being on the defensive ends, and then now we just need to figure out the tackle. So I think Mozzie Smith, who is 300 pounds plus, I believe like for the bench press, he like set a record. He's a really strong, and I believe in Division One football, he was like one of the like he was the only defensive tackle that could not be moved by a double team. So especially when you're going up against Jason Kelsey twice a year. A all-pro veteran, probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. I know his mom got in the Hall of Fame. But when you're going up against a center like that and Jalen Hurts in his strong body, you're going to need someone in the, trench, in the trenches getting ready for that. And I think Mozzie Smith coming in is going to help because we have another big body along with uh, Jonathan Haskins, I believe, with them two running the two uh, the those tackles. And I think what's also great is that they don't have to – we don't have to worry – too much with the pass rush because obviously we have you know Micah, Lawrence, Sam, whatever. They can worry about the run. Mozzie Smith can worry about stuffing the run. And I think that's what's gonna be great is having that. Is having that player be right there, manning the middle, being in the trenches and fighting to stop that busted play. Because that's gonna be my biggest concern is that play. And now with him coming in, you know, being a big boy, it's gonna help. It's definitely going to help out a lot because we needed that. Because I believe that was like one of our other weakest points, in my opinion, was stopping the run. We were very bad at stopping the run. I think we were like top five in pass defense, but stopping the run was not our strong suit. So now bringing him in, I'm sure Dan Quinn had a say in it because they were, he wanted him to help stop the run. And now here we go. Although next, the tight end that we got, Shootamaker, I was that's why I was like thinking, why didn't we get Kincaid if we ended up getting a, a tight end anyways? Kind of thinking about it and looking at it, I think that what ended up happening is that Mike McCarthy, he wants kind of more tight ends because I know he wants to run the ball more. So adding him on with Ferguson and Hendershot, they can always run a jumbo package, triple uh, triple tight end, or whatever they want to do, or whatever uh, Mike McCarthy wants to run. Now they have him. He's a decent blocker, and he can run routes. So I think it was a pretty good pickup in the second round. Next up, the player I'm actually excited about, DeMarvian Overshawn. From Texas, I'm pretty excited about him because he kind of reminds me a little bit of Michael Parsons on the fact that he could fly. Now I'm a Red Raider, Big Twelve here. We played against Texas every year, and he was one of the defensive people I got annoyed with. He was in the backfield. He was stopping slants. He was in coverage. He was stopping plays. He made life hard in the Big Twelve. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, ask Alabama, and how how well they did and how much they were able to score against Texas. Ask them. They had a good defense, and I think he was one of the main key components, because he can fly. He is fast. He can get downfield. He can bull rush with the blitz. He can stay in coverage so Micah can go, so that way Micah can go get the line, uh, go get the quarterback, whatever. I think he's kind of like a good, like, do, like, kind of do everything linebacker, you know, coverage, stop the run, go uh, protect the, uh, go guard the running back, whatever. I think he's going to be a great addition to our defense. And I think that's going to be the big thing uh, with him and his growth is I think he's going to be so helpful for Micah Parsons. 
and Leighton Van Der Esch, you know, so that way Leighton can not have to rush the QB so much and help risk possible injury. He can stay in the coverage and he can help man it, whatever. But I think that the Demarian overshot is going to be a big help. I think he's going to be essential to this to this defense in the long run. I know he's a third round pick. It's a little bit of a gamble, but I think he's going to be so good. I saw him at Texas. I saw what he can do, and he just jumped off the screen for me. It was it was crazy. And also, I think he was like a big defensive factor against uh, whenever Texas played OU. So that was another big thing. So if you want to see like if he actually went up against competition, because I know everyone has their stigma about uh, the Big Twelve, just see just go see the big names that they played: Alabama, O OU, OSU, TCU. He was he was hard. He he's a he's a pretty good he's a pretty good linebacker. He's hard to block. He's fast. I think he's gonna be great. I am so excited for him to come in. Now another thing I want to hit on with the with this Dallas Cowboys draft is not a lot of flashy players. This is more I believe a necessity picks. It wasn't like what happened with Ceedee Lamb in 2020 when we drafted him because he fell. We didn't need Ceedee Lamb, but we drafted him anyways for a splash. You know he came in, he helped out. He did really well, and now he's a number one. I thought he was always going to be a number one wide receiver. Micah Parsons got drafted. A lot of people were not happy about Micah Parsons. I actually was. I kind of wanted J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan to help out at corner, but when we drafted Micah, I said, that's fine. We need help on defense. I will take Micah Parsons. He ended up being a generational talent. So kind of not going for splash, and this one's a little, more, a little bit more of let's see what we need. Defensive tackle, good. We got more linebacker depth. We got tight end depth. We got more corner depth. We got receiver uh, receiver depth. And, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, a uh, running back from K-State. More running back depth. Because now if uh, Ronald Jones doesn't do good and they have other people. Deuce Vaughn, by the way, another great running back. He tore it up against TCU in the Big 12, in the Big 12 game. He was a dominant, for a small guy. I believe he's like five foot eight. He's not very tall. He was fast he was elusive and he is gonna i think he's gonna help too if he if he's able if he's ever able to play but i think he's gonna be great as well so that's what i mean a lot of necessity players you know kind of more like let's fill in the gaps let's see what we can help out and let's let's add some depth you know who knows what might happen to tony pollard let's be honest here he's coming off um surgery in his knee we don't know how much how long he can last zeke is not there to be in the to be the big running back hopefully ronald jones can do that um, we have another, uh, running back, a third string running back, but we don't know how he's going to be or if he's going to play. Same thing with defensive tackle. Jonathan Haskins got hurt. They got a little bit, he got a small extension, but he got hurt. Now Mozzie Smith can come in, especially if, uh, Philadelphia wants to run those, that QB sneak play. He can always come in to stop the run. He can always come in to do that. He can always be a goal line defensive, uh, defensive tackle if we need it. Cornerbacks. We saw what happened. Whenever uh, Trayvon and Anthony Brown, when Anthony Brown went hurt, Trayvon was the only good good cornerback that we had. Now we got another. Uh, now we got, I uh, believe, uh, Jalen Brooks to come help out, which I think is going to be pretty pretty helpful in my opinion. And on top of that, linebacker depth because Anthony Barr is going to be gone. So now we have someone else to hopefully cut, can come in. I know uh, Damian Clark from LSU. He was another drafted. Linebacker for Dallas, hopefully he can emerge something, but now we have Overshaw in case we need him to come in. And if we need him for blitz packages, whatever, or if Leighton Van Der Esch gets hurt, he can maybe come in and be middle linebacker. Who knows? Or whatever we want to try to do. But my point is that, 
You know, and even Asim Richards, the lineman from UNC, just depth. We're going to need it because especially with at least offensive line, we don't know how long Tyrone Smith is going to last. So then obviously we move Tyler Smith to tackle. We can maybe move him up to, to left guard for the time being. So this is a lot of necessity or at least a lot of at least positions that are going to help because you never know. Players can get hurt, suspended, whatever. At least they can come in and help out if need be and we'll keep it that way. So I think what Dallas do, did in this draft is a little bit, it's not splashy. You know, not everyone's going to be excited about maybe this draft class. But I think in the long run, it's going to help. Because of having Mozzie, you know, come in and hopefully help with that stupid Q, uh, QB sneak play. Shootamaker can help be a blocker for tight end if they want to run the ball and run triple tight ends or he can split out. Demario Overshaw, a linebacker, I think he's going to be good if he can start. He can help out Damian Clark, or if he has to come in middle linebacker, who knows? But I think he's going to be help. William uh, DeFoco, he could probably just be depth for defensive linemen. Uh, Asim Richards, you never know with Tyrone Smith, so he can come in and help out as well. Deuce Vaughn, I mean, you can, I mean, like I said, Ronald Jones, he may not be that good, or he may have to sub him out. Tony Pollard might get hurt. You never know. And then Jalen Brooks can come in for corner. So with that, that's how I think the, the draft for the Dallas Cowboys went. I know some people have them like at a C plus or C minus. It just wasn't a lot of splash, I think, in my opinion. Like we didn't get Bijan, we didn't get Kincaid, we didn't get uh, Mike Mayers or whatever. We didn't get any splashy players, but I think this draft is going to help us at least depth wise. So we're not freaking out and trying to figure out what we're going to do or try to sign someone off the couch or you know try to makeshift stuff. And I think this is a good position to be in. Alrighty, to wrap things up, the schedule for the NFL is set to release, I believe, May 11th. So hopefully we can figure out how every NFL team is going to go. I'm going to definitely kind of do my picks and comparisons on schedules and see what we go about that. But alrighty, guys, thank you so much for tuning in this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Make sure you follow me on all my social media. I got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is, at CAV Sports or CAV Sports podcast this will be going up on youtube spotify and amazon music so make sure you guys tune in for the next episode and i'll catch you guys later